Welcome to The Other Side of Sex, where we discuss how to have sex with no drama, hosted by your friends, Steve and Kama. This podcast is focused on talking about how great sex can be when you learn how to properly communicate your wants, needs, and desires with not only your partners, but yourself. On this show, we want to help our listeners live their happiest lives, so our self-proclaimed sexpert, Miss Kama, will also be answering some of your questions about sex, life, and relationships. She will also be having even more fun educating you about kinks and fetishes. Ultimately, she will be offering advice centered around how you can find your true self and start having better, more fulfilling sex. Enjoy yourself, and welcome to The Other Side of Sex. Before we jump into the show, we need to share a note about our content. The Other Side of Sex is created for adult audiences only, and listener discretion is advised. Our show includes frank discussions involving sexuality, kinks, fetishes, and includes some downright dirty language. So, Kama, I had a conversation the other day with a friend of mine that really opened my eyes. Oh, yeah? What was that? You know, I'm in general, I'm like a huge offender of anyone's right to be themselves and live the life that makes them happy, as long as, you know, they're not hurting someone else physically or emotionally in doing so, right? Kind of a libertarian. Right. So, <laughs> I've also always seen myself as a huge ally for the Pride community and always want to try- well, Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. I mean, there's nothing <laughs> admirable about that. It's human decency that we're talking about here. So, I mm, always- If only anybody, everybody thought that way. Yeah. <laughs> so, I try to help defend their rights and have no problem, you know, physically intervening if I have to, if I see a situation um, go down in front of me that I feel just isn't right, mm-hmm. someone getting bullied or um, even abused over- whatever sexuality they have been known to happen but the conversation i had with someone made me realize that despite my intentions i can never really understand what it feels like to be so maligned the way this community has been throughout history i mean i hate to say it oh yeah i hate to say it this way but frankly i'm a straight white man who has never once had my rights challenged or even my existence questioned so how can i possibly feel like that that's what's going through my head no i know i know it's really hard to parse out this kind of stuff and in a say in a similar vein i feel as you do because i am what's called hetero passing queer i am a woman in a cis body married to a man in a cis body and we walk around and everybody thinks we're straight and that's just not how it goes and people will often say ignorant shit to me thinking that oh i'm gonna be on the side of marriage and all that well i'm on the side of marriage but not for just straight people and it gets uncomfortable sometimes so i can imagine where you're coming from it's not fun (laughs) you know when you're looking when you're on the outside looking in on other people's oppression i'm sure that is an uncomfortable feeling just the way i feel when i look at you know how members of the uh, how people of color are treated yeah there's so much worse so much guilt going along with those thoughts that it, it bothers me and i thought this would be a good opportunity to turn our voice into uh, a way to help other straight allies or even those in the pride community yeah. who may not truly understand the history of pride to um you know be exposed to the history and the truth of why we have pride yeah. Month. You know, I think I think it's an important thing that we go into this and talk about it. And, you know, we've been we've been toying with this idea for a while. We knew that Pride Month was coming and we really wanted to 
honor it in a way that felt authentic to us. And the way that was authentic to us, we don't just sit there and go, woo, it's Pride Month. We're like, why? Because it kind of, you know, as an elder queer, when I watch all people just trot off to Pride parades, I'm like, where's your brick? You know, and <laughs> I say, Pride used to be a riot and people have no idea what I'm talking about. And Obama in his inauguration speech mentioned Stonewall and a lot of people were like, what the fuck was that? And you know what? Now we're going to talk about it because the one thing that you can do is guilt is a useless emotion. Nobody needs guilt. It's a, a guilt. You know, it sometimes it exists as like, oh, you know, okay, I feel guilty about that sandwich I ate after I already ate 15 cookies. That's an okay guilt to have. Catholic guilt that I was infused with during conversion therapy was not a fucking good type of guilt to be saddled with. And the type of guilt that you're feeling now for having the white privilege that you do, or the, the male Yeah, the male privilege. Let's not do. forget that. The male white privilege. It's Male white it, it's privilege. It's just a uh, truth that I don't like to admit, but it, it does exist. It does exist. and But you know what? You also can make the strongest ally because you are the one that, you know, it's your voice that gets heard primarily above any other voice. And it's your voice like yours that can really affect change. When white men, white straight men stand up for the faggots and the queers and the gays and the lesies and all of the and all the things that we've been told for so long, that means something to us. That means something to us. We're not spitting it in your eye for that it means something to us because historically there have been allies since the dawn of time and we can get into that i want to get into that today and what, what i really want to have everyone listening take get a takeaway from this is pride is a celebration and you have every right to celebrate the achievements you had but i just yeah. don't want people to rest in their laurels and think that you know the quote the war on gay is over it's far from over oh, and we fully. all need to be vigilant to make sure civil rights gay rights everyone's rights never get trampled on uh the ways they should especially in this uh country america where it's the land of the free that really bothers me because with a lot of stuff going on in this world in general I fear that slowly everyone's going to start reverting back to, you know, the 50s or the early 1900s. You fear. Yeah. <laughs> you should ask the gays, the gays in your life yeah. what they if feel If I feel it, it I can't yeah. imagine what they're going through. Our rights are not guaranteed. And this is what I want to, like, you know, I want to clasp hands with every Gen Z member and say, look, 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 look. You have to listen and look. If you don't know where you're if you don't know where you came from, you can't possibly know where you're going. And all these rights and protections that Gen Z grew up with could very well fucking go away. They're not permanent. Well, if we've learned anything from Roe v. Wade and the shitbirds on the set on the Supreme Court right now, rights are your laws, your rights, what you think is in place is not fucking guaranteed. My mother was one on the front lines for Roe v. Wade and Nope, I'm glad she's not alive to see it get overturned. I, I if I never, I never would have wished my mother dead, but this is one thing I'm glad she isn't gonna see. Yeah. And when they go for abortion, they're gonna come after gay marriage next. It's inevitable, and it's not. A, it's not in 2015 when Trump started making noise. I said this is what's gonna happen if he gets elected. We are going to lose Roe v. Wade. It's going to go away. And people thought I was full of shit. And sorry, it's it's. It's the truth. We have to, if we have to address this stuff, ultimately we need you, the white male voter, to understand and to defend. Yes. Because we are a, we are still the minority. 
and we need the majority on our side. Yes, the and it's the time is now. The the time is now, and it's so important. You know, you mentioned Roe v. Wade, and then gay marriage rights, and then what? It's mm-hmm. going to be interracial marriage rights. Like they, mm-hmm. w- once it, the privacy laws go away, right? Once a, a minority group loses any sort of power, it's just on to the next, and on to the next, and on to the next, and then in any society, when those people turn a blind eye it's just going to end up tra- uh, tragedy for everyone involved not just the first right. people that are losing that's their correct. rights so that that's correct. why this is so important for us to get into this history lesson so i'm going to turn most of the history lesson over to, to, to you Kama, because <laughs> this is this is in your Yay. wheelhouse and um educate me educate the listeners educate anyone who's um willing to listen okay all right so i'm going to start with the basics the sodomy laws do you know what sodomy is steven I mean, in in culture, I believe sodomy is um, anal sex, but other than that, I don't know what the laws really were. Right. So the the colloquialism is sodomy to sodomize, um, yeah, anal sex. And like, if you see it in a court case, they were sodomized with a blah blah blah. So sodomy is generally known to be anal sex, but legally, it also includes oral sex. Now, why in the hell would we have sodomy laws on the books anyway? These laws actually date back to the 17th century, if you can believe that. When the colonists came to America, these laws existed in England, and they came right over on the Mayflower, (laughs) practically. These, These laws were inherited they were inher- inherited from a ruling class in Britain who I'm going to guess was just trying to come up with a way to stop people from <laughs> being deviants in the street, right? Or to only Correct. have fun for procreation, right? Right. So so the sodomy laws were originally meant to be codes of conduct between married couples if you can believe that that sex was only supposed to be for procreation if you took it in the ass or you took it in your mouth it wasn't for jesus and it was a (laughs) no-no so that's where these laws came from and largely they were ignored when it came to the homosexual population and surprise homosexuals my people or pansexuals omnisexuals we have been a trans Gender, we have been around since the dawn of fucking time. Homosexuality has been recorded in nearly every ancient culture. East Asia, the Middle East, Mesopotamia. There is recorded documentation of homosexuals existing. And in some of these great empires like Greece and Rome, it was Mm -hmm. championed, right? It was okay. It was a part of everyday life. So it all depends on how uh, the civilization was. Exactly. By the time that American society started to sort of shake itself out, the only time that sodomy was really persecuted was when sodomy existed or was enforced under predator like in a predatory way whether it was relations with minors between adults using force like rape um between adult between adults from different social classes if an over you know if somebody had servants he was not supposed to have sex with his servants because this is a power this is a power struggle this is a class distinction and then it also and here's the most damaging one for the gays the sodomy laws were enforced when people had sex with animals. Now, that's not even sodomy. That's bestiality. Mm-hmm. But when people say, when they get all up on their high religious horses and equate homosexuality to the sex with animals, this is why. 
thank the Bible. Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I know that they, back in the day and throughout, you know, modern American history, you see the word pervert and they would put, I you know, people who slept with animals and gay people all in one just using that term. That's yeah. what it meant, you know, right. the word pervert. Right, right. It was just, it was a blanket term because nobody really understood. But you know what? And and for the for most history, ancient history, people didn't really care. Like all the way up to the Revolutionary War, um, Baron Friedrich von Steuben, he was, he was a key figure in the Revolutionary War. George Washington had openly gay generals. Nobody gave a shit. Like it was just, you know, they didn't get married. They didn't talk about it. They didn't. They were just, they weren't any threat to anyone. They kind of just lived on the fringe, quite uninterrupted. So even in Washington's day, they had don't ask, don't tell, right? As long as you could do the job in the time of war, just don't even talk about it. Pretend it doesn't exist. It doesn't matter, right? Oh, yeah. Exactly. I mean, even Baron Friedrich has a... Baron Friedrich has a town named after him, Steubenville, Ohio. Dan Savage talked about that this week. It's a very important thing. Here is a prominent gay figure in the Revolutionary War, and he got a town named after him. Nobody... Gave a crap that he was gay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just didn't. So, it, but things started to kind of take a turn in American history right around the 1940s. But I do want to kind of back up a little bit and mention that in 1924, the first documented American gay rights organization was started. It was called the Society for Human Rights. Notice nothing about homosexuality in the name, Mm -hmm. but it was founded in Chicago by Henry Gerber. He was a German immigrant and he was inspired by, here's another gay rights organization, the Scientific Humanitarian Committee, (laughs) which existed in Germany as a homosexual emancipation group. But I guarantee they never used the word homosexual, gay, queer, or anything else. This was just, they saw that as a humanitarian issue, humanity rights, right? right? Yes. Civil rights, Mm -hmm. marriage rights, all of these things. They, they, and back then these groups sort of existed as like a little salon. Like they had, they had like their society, their, their, you know, it was very intellectual. It was very forward thinking and it was meant to be a place for like-minded individuals to have some friends some and actually they had they they published the very first gay newsletter it was called friendship and freedom and really that's what gays really just want is some friends and some freedom to be left the hell alone to love who we love you mean to be able to talk to people and not have to cover everything you know that that that's all they really yeah. wanted, right? Just to have right. the ability to have a friend, go down to the pub right. and have a beer with them and not be ridiculed or ostracized or worse, right? Yes, the same exact friendships and freedoms accorded to the heterosexual population. Unfortunately, by the 1920s, the sentiment had already sort of turned and police raids forced this band to force this um forced the Society for Human Rights to disband in 1925. It didn't last very long. And I do want to kind of put a little pin in the point that in 1931, in 1930, excuse me, 1930, the first sex reassignment surgery was performed in 1930 on a person that was assigned male at birth. I'm going to butcher the name, Einar Wagner, born in 1882. Let's that sink in. The first Mm. sexual reassignment surgery was in 1930. Now, sadly, she died after five 
procedures. She died in 1931. They tried to implant an ovaries and uterus into her male body and she died. And if you want to know more about this, there's actually a book that was written and it was made into a movie called The Danish Girl. It was written by David Ebershoff and Red Eddie Redmayne stars in it. So that is available out there if you ever want to know more about that. But so that kind of a lot of things were starting to happen in the 1920s and 1930s. Our rights started to it started to be known that something needed to be done, that homosexual life was starting to be maligned and threatened. And remember, this is coming it, right out of World War One. You know, the war yes. that was meant to end all wars and to promote freedom and to prevent and to promote everyone getting along and everything else. And right after that, all of a sudden after you know, a century, they become the target. Why? Correct. Because of what? Christianity? Because of the stigma? Mm -hmm. Because of mm -hmm. what? If you've ever been different, you've always been on the fringe. Because you know what? People never, ever, ever seem to react with openness and kindness at something different right out of the gate we stopped doing that when we're like five <laughs> right. once all of once we once we learn about shame and once we learn about ridicule and humiliation and we start to absorb the cultural mores around us that is what starts to happen and i will say that actually all the way up into the 40s fdr when fdr was in office he did he started the new deal those projects that promoted urbanization and trying and were meant to restore prosperity to America after the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. When these urban centers started to develop right after World War II, so we jumped from World War I to World War II, this actually started the first thriving gay and lesbian communities. The first coming out movement was right after World War II. How wild is that? Yeah. I mean, they, again, another situation where everyone's celebrating personal freedoms personal liberties right. and they are making money making money and then everyone a lot of people know the civil rights struggles but this is just starting at the same exact time in a very disgusting way we're just we just defeated the nazis and now we're going mm -hmm. what america's bored so we're going to pick on someone else now because there's nothing else to yeah, pick so on what else happened in the 1950s jim crow laws right it was like all of a sudden you know we're done with these wars. We use Buffalo soldiers and all, you know, we, in civil war, all kinds of stuff. Now we're going to turn on the gays and the blacks. It just, it just kind of shook out that way. Mm -hmm. You know, racism, um, segregation, the country started to fucking heat up around this time. And I will tell you that one of the first and earliest types of discrimination against gays, you mentioned the first DADT. Well, before DADT, in 1947, at the beginning of the Cold War, the State Department began a campaign to oust communists and homosexuals. 1947, it started to get crazy. And at that time, we love FDR, we loved his New Deals. But in 1940, President Roosevelt was convinced by psychiatrists to implement mental health screening in the military selection process. Now, that is an excellent, excellent thing to do. As someone married to an active duty soldier, I absolutely believe that the military needs mental health screening. The pro the reason that they actually wanted this was because when soldiers were coming home from war that were unfair 
that I, you know, unfit. Well, it was World War Two. They were, they were drafted. They were recruited. They were never really trained. They were just thrown right into the right. fire, right? They're just, yeah. you know, they were ripped from their mama's tits and they were thrown right into the brink, right into war. Um, so it, it was an actually an effort to reduce the cost of psychiatric rehabilitation and returning soldiers. It cost too much damn money to fix the broken brains that came home from war. If you were of sound mind when you went off to war, you probably weren't coming home in greatest shape anyway. PTSD was not even really talked about yet. wasn't really a thing. Yeah, and, so, and no one really talked about PTSD till Tom Hanks in um, Saving Private Ryan, right? That was the first real... Right cinematic experience and that got people talking about it so imagine in the 40s when no soldier who saw real action would say a damn thing to anybody they just didn't talk about it they were so shell-shocked it was uh, really a depressing uh scene at the time so they're Mm what this is i'm just trying to set the tone for what's really going on here for everyone listening right is that in 1940, that time at that time, being gay was thought to be a mental illness. It was in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual later on, but it was it was thought to be that to be gay, to be a homosexual, was to have a mental illness. So homosexuals were banned and removed from the military officially in 1943. So by 1943, they were already kicked out and removed from the military. But that left repercussions. It made, it sent some fear through all the closeted homosexuals that were working in government positions. They kind of knew their time was coming, but nobody could have foreseen how it was going to go. So the boom fell, Stephen, in February 1950, when Senator Joseph McCarthy, a Republican from Wisconsin, He walked onto the Senate floor and claimed that 205 communists were secretly working within our government. That week, 91 homosexual employees resigned. This Red Scare, you've heard of that, right? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I know that they teach the Red Scare in schools nowadays, and it was McCarthyism, and it's a big deal, right? Coming out of World Mm -hmm. War II, we can't have these Russians, these Soviet Union empire growing, that's growing, and they're the new threat to America, even though we just took care of them in the war. Um, But no, we can't let them win, right? Because it's communism versus democracy here. You just said the magic phrase, a threat to American society. Communism was viewed as the ultimate threat to American society, but just underlying communists was the threat of homosexuality, the lavender lads. Lavender lads is a term that was bandied around in the 1940s to mean anyone that was had proclivities towards being homosexual. They were known as lavender lads. What I really want to impress upon you is how much fear that the Red Scare caused the American people. People were damn terrified during the Cold War. I mean, we remember, I was a kid in the 80s, and I remember the threat of the Cold War and growing up with that. But what nobody ever talks about is the lavender scare. And what I'm talking about when I say the lavender scare is when Joseph McCarthy said this, on the Senate floor, he was mainly talking about communists, but everyone knew him to be a bigot towards homosexuals. And he had made several, several public claims about how much he hated homosexuals. In fact, he himself combined the 
the red and lavender scares by quoting to newspaper reporters, if you want to be against McCarthy boys, you've either got to be a communist or a cocksucker. He said that was what he said to the papers. Right. So he made it's, cases. it's terrible political assassination. I mean, but it's so damaging because how how can anyone who is an ally defend that publicly right you're going to say no he's no. wrong we're not we're not going to separate communists and gay people because they didn't have the advocacy no the people were so scared back then Stephen, that single men who were completely heterosexual would not even go for a drink with each other after work for fear of being seen as gay it was terrible the it was oh my gosh what the homosexuality was a threat to the country in the eyes of a handful of, I'm going to guess, the very vocal minority at this time, right? Just like most uh, terrible uh, situations that rise up in government, the vocal minority has an agenda and they're going to do whatever it takes to browbeat whatever their agenda is into the public eye. And it was so damaging to all these people because they had no way to defend it. Right. There wasn't enough no. people there to support the defense of all these innocent Americans. Correct. Now, not only was there no advocacy, um, again, we get back to that threat of the American way of life. Think about, well, it's hard. I actually went back and I talked to my dad who was born in 1953 and I asked about his recollections. And then I went and talked to my friend, Paula, who was born in 1933, and I got her take on it when she was because she was 20 years old when this happened. And she wanted to impress upon me how scary everything was. And yet at the same time, America was feeling fresh and new with the advent of television, the nuclear family, the idea of the American dream started to be created and brought home in the 1950s. Think about it. That was the major propaganda of the day. Be a man. Marry your wife. Let her be the little woman. Have 2.5 children and a white picket fence. And look at all this great new innovation in the kitchen and let the woman be the, right, right you know, have all this new technology right. and frozen food. And it was beautiful. This is what the new American dream is. And if you don't like it, right. get out of this country. That's what they're basically trying to say. Yep. And if you were a dirty cocksucker or a lesbian, get the fuck out. That's what they this isn't for you. This is for, uh, I'm probably going to go out on a limb here and say white family units that are believe in Jesus yeah. and believe in the Bible and just do what you're supposed to do. That was the new image that these people wanted to make the American dream. They wanted to force the American dream into their own little world. Yeah. If you were black, if you were Jewish, if you were gay, you had no place in the American dream and everybody let you fucking know. Now, why would this bother why would this even bother people in government? Well, this wonderful man, Joseph McCarthy, he posited that homosexuality was such a threat to national security because of these perverts, these mentally ill people were now working in government whose secret lives had to be kept so secret that they were susceptible to blackmail and that they themselves were a threat to national security just like a communist because they were mentally ill they were perverted they were they were considered a corruption a corrosive element just for being gay it didn't matter if you were wanting a family it didn't matter the kind of person you were 
you were a pariah. To make things even worse, McCarthy went and hired a lawyer named Roy Cohn. I'm sure that name's going to come, you know, that rings a bell. <laughs> yeah, Roy, Roy Cohn, Cohn, you know, the same one who helped uh, Ronald Reagan get elected, you know, Roger yep. Stone and Paul Manafort learned a lot from them, helped to get Trump elected. You know, his ripple effect mm-hmm. started in the 50s, but it's been really hurting to the American rights ever since he got hired by McCarthy here. Roy Cohn was a real big bad. His legacy of pain is undeniable. When Roy Cohn was placed as chief counsel to McCarthy's congressional subcommittee, shit really started to get bad. The two of them, together with the support of FBI, and who was then run by J. Edgar Hoover, they began to fire scores of gays working in government. By 1953, 425 gays were fired. A culture of terror existed. Like I said, the men, men, straight men were afraid to be seen in pairs. And they, and very, very often, they rushed to get married. This affected women's lives, too, not to mention the lesbians. You know, the lavender scare affected everyone. And let's, let's just um, back up for context here, right? So their, sure. their, their cause and their rationale was people would be more susceptible to blackmail so what did they do they went out and they extinguished and ruined 425 people's lives because they were so afraid Correct. that they may have talked to somebody instead right. as what maybe a forward-thinking leadership would do would be like we don't care thus removing the need for blackmail right let's just think about it if they right. just took that spin how different it could have been right this, But it got so much worse. Homosexuals that were then really called a threat to the American way of life. They were seen as subversive to have loose moral character. And they they lacked conformity. All things that are really fucking bad for a government employee. You, If you're a government employee, you kind of want you pe- people to think that you're of good moral character and a conformist. Because that's government. And do what you're told and, then, and come in on time. Yeah. And just, you know, do, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's supposed to be automatic, like an automaton. And that's what they wanted. Exactly. And these people were different. So different's always bad, right? In this country, different is right. always bad. Right. So President Eisenhower, when he came into office, he doubled down on this. He signed Executive Order 10450, which set the security standards for federal employment, and it officially barred homosexuals from working in American government. By the end of the Lavender Scare, which estimated to be around 1957, 1958, an estimated five to 10,000, what a huge gulf, five to 10,000 homosexuals lost their jobs. We will never know the true number. Many of these people went on to commit suicide. Many never worked again. They were completely finished by this. Lives were ruined. And what I want to bring home here in the greatest turn of events is it came out that McCarthy and Roy Cohen both were in fact closeted gay men McCarthy, in his FBI file, had several documented sex crimes against him. He even was guilty. He was even there was even a letter in there that he had raped anal that he had raped and sod- raped by sodomy a army lieutenant. And Roy Cohn, we all know. Well, I shouldn't say we all know. Roy Cohn died in 1986, 
just five weeks after he was disbarred from the New York Supreme Court for defrauding a client. Can you guess what he died of in 1986, Stephen? I'm going to guess 86. Mm, height of the AIDS epidemic, right? I'm going to guess AIDS. Yes. Yeah. Roy Cohen. Now, when I talk to my friend Paula, she's Jewish from Brooklyn, and she says, I don't wish anybody a bad death, but that man deserved everything he got. She remembered. She remembered the stain that she felt that Roy Cohn put upon the Jewish community, and she hated him for that. And that man died alone and in pain. And if you want to watch a show on this, you can always go check out the HBO. It was done many, many years ago. But a beautiful show called Angels in America, all about the AIDS epidemic, which we will, which we're not getting into today. This is a natural point to say that we've been talking so much about gay history, and that is a huge part of it. And we're going to be jumping around through decades a lot, but we're going to kind of not talk about, I'm going to touch on the AIDS epidemic, but I'm kind of leaping over it. Because for me, it deserves its, its own it's, episode. It really does. And that's kind of our plan with this. Not only does it deserve its own episode, but I have friends. I have had, I have, when I was a funeral director, I buried people with AIDS. I remember when friends, when friends' fathers who were closeted died of AIDS. This is not, this is, this, t I was born in 76. This is not ancient history to me. This was my childhood. And as as Legolas says in Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, when Gandalf dies, for me, the grief is still far too near. It's hard for me to speak of. It was a lot for me to just go through what I went, you know, reading everything that I did this week it was a little stressful when you're reading like days and days and days about crimes perpetrated against your people. Kind of sucks. But so we, I'm just going to put a pin in that. We are going to talk about it, the AIDS epidemic and we will do its due, but Suffice to say, for now, we're just going to put a pin in the fact that Roy Cohen and Joseph McCarthy, the people who created decades of suffering and wreck and ruin, were closeted gay men themselves. So are you saying that this is another example of a political party knowing their own demons and projecting it on everyone else? Yeah. I mean, it starts as the Red Scare. <laughs> Communism's bad. Everyone can get around that. You know what's really bad? Gay right. people. Why? Because I hate myself. <laughs> I mean, it's not, a, it's oh, not yeah. a hard jump for it to see it that way. You talked about five to 10,000 people lost their lives and maybe more, not just, uh, not lost their lives, lost their livelihood and their family some units, did lose their right? lives and some did lose their lives i'm not i don't want to say five to ten thousand lost their lives but that it affected that many if not more homosexuals proof most of the time the acquisition would i would accuse you of being someone and it just wasn't worth the fight so they would just resign and move on but they're simply right. not true our government was never infiltrated by the soviet union and that's come out years later yes. that's never been the case right never happened Right. It was just, it was a convenient push. One thing I will say, Stephen, is that in 1953, one beautiful, shining person emerged. I talked a little bit about the first sex assignment, sex reassignment surgery in 1931. Well, 1952 saw the first person become famous and make headlines for having successful sexual reassignment surgery. And that person was named Christine Jorgensen. In 1952, Christine Jorgensen, was, who was born male, traveled to Denmark to have the surgery. That's where it was being performed at the time. 
um, and returned home in 1953 among a flood of press. And you can watch this actually on YouTube. You can look up on YouTube the video of her returning home from Copenhagen and being so overwhelmed, very polite, and said, you know, thank you, but this is too much. But this amazing person did not go into the shadows. She created a nightclub act and performed. She sang. She danced. She was an outspoken advocate for the gay community. And her presence in the media, her presence in the world served to highlight the difference between being gay and gender dysphoria. This was the first time that there was a distinct this was the first time that a trans person was in the limelight and she did a beautiful job. Sadly, she tried to marry her partner in 1959, Howard J. Knox, but she wasn't able to simply because her birth certificate still said male and no one would grant them a marriage license. She lived all the way till 1989, I believe essentially 20 years time they finally found a way to make this work correct which is, is amazing like just uh, think about it from science like a science perspective for them to eat. 20 years before the first one we were still cutting off limbs coming out of the civil war and now right 20 years after that you have the successful and she lives on uh, a long promising life and really starts becoming the first advocate and the first person to bring it positive attention to the community right right christine jorgensen lived to the 80s she died of lung cancer um but she was quite an old woman and she was well venerated by the community and we love her still I mean, I wish her name was quite as popular as Judy Garland, <laughs> who, you know, she's she's the gay messiah. We, you know, everybody who has a little bit of queer in them loves Judy. And that's because Judy always sang about sorrow and suffering. And that's always resonated with the gay community. We always have felt heard and felt ourselves represented by Judy Garland. But she wasn't the first Christine Jorgensen. She used to get up on stage and sing I Enjoy Being a Girl, a song written in 1957 or 58. And she was amazing. She was amazing. So there were resistances to this persecution. Have you ever heard of Frank Kameny? And sadly, I have never heard of Frank Kameny. And I don't know if that's on me, if that's on the history books or what. So we just talked about the Lavender Scare. Frank Kameny was an astronomer for the U.S. Army Map Service, and he was fired as a result of the Lavender Scare in 1957. The, the, the sad thing is Frank Kameny did not actually do anything wrong. He himself was actually groped in a bathroom and was arrested for it and there was i don't have because because details are sketchy i couldn't find them on the internet but suffice to say that he himself was arrested in the fracas um he was told don't worry this is not going to um come back to bite you in the ass but at a certain point in his career he was brought in for questioning about it and during that questioning he remained elusive about his sexual orientation because you have to realize at this point now everybody was being questioned and if you kind of were cagey in any way or if you didn't you know answer in just the right way these motherfuckers smelled they 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 sniffed the lavender right out they were practiced at it and if they didn't sniff it out they'd call you it anyway and get you and get yeah i've seen documentaries where people would flat out say you know they would ask me do you know any gay people 
and then they would not let you leave the room until you give them five names under risk of making up charges against you, throwing you in prison, you know, taking your job away. It was a literal witch hunt going on here. Yes. So he was fired in 1957, and he was never able to attain government employment again. And he was the first person who decided to fight. This man stood up and said, this is not about, they said, this discrimination is not an issue of national security. It's a civil rights issue. He was such a unique figure. He really emerged as one of the first gay activists. He, if you asked him what race he was, he would never even say I'm white. He would say I'm a human. He disavowed any sort of barrier to humanity. Or classification or anything. It doesn't matter. I'm a human. I'm an American. And that's all you need to know. Yes. After his firing, he devoted his life to the gay rights movement. In 1950, the Mattachine Society was formed. It was a group of gay men who got together to talk about their rights and issues. And in 1961, Frank Kameny formed the Mattachine Society of Washington, D.C. He founded a branch there of off of it. Um, and by 1965, he and other members of his Mattachine Society of Washington, D.C. branch were picketing on the White House lawn for gay and lesbian rights. I should mention that there, I'm a little bit quiet about the lesbians at this time. They were being just as affected as gay men, but women working in government was a much smaller percentage of people. There were lesbians fired, definitely. And in 1955, the first lesbian rights group emerged. They were known as the Daughters of Blightus. They began in San Francisco and they were an alternative to lesbian bars. This was a type of, this was a group of women who were more interested in talking about their rights, who they are, and getting to know each other. Nice, again, like the 1924's Friendship Society, they didn't want to meet in bars. So they created the Daughters of Blightus. <laughs> right. So it's an easy way to talk about Whatever it is they want to talk about, just like every other American can gather and have friends and socialize. It was part advocacy. I'm sure it was part social group, too. Exactly. Now, I do want to point out, as we're moving into the 60s, that in 1962, the American Law Institute developed the MPC. This is the Moral Penal Code. And the MPC actually removed consensual sodomy from the criminal code. But make no mistake, Stephen, this wasn't about gay rights. This was not for the gays. I'm going to just throw this out there and say, hmm, I wonder why politicians, white male politicians in 1962 are going to want to not have sodomy be illegal anymore i'm, I'm gonna, gonna take guess a, that's yeah if we problem. could fill in the blanks there you know <laughs> yeah i think these guys, the fuckers just figured out how much they like blowjobs and they themselves didn't want to guess oh okay so you went there that's fine that's a mental image that i don't need to see <laughs> that's what i do i go there 1960 politicians and Right. Interesting. The American Law Institute created this because they just wanted to create uniformity against the sodomy laws enacted in the across the country. They were kind of all over the place. And Illinois was the first state to flip the sodomy laws in 1962. Interesting because, you know, Chicago was there, but now current times, Illinois is always kind of a battleground state when it comes to gay rights Mm -hmm. still to this day. And I always just think it's interesting that the first state to get rid of sodomy laws was indeed Illinois. But remember the rationale why. It's not for what you think it was. (laughs) No, 
No, it wasn't to help the gays. It was just to help the polit the white politicians. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, I mean, I mean, in the sixties, maybe it's the era uh, era of uh, mistresses. So you know, they all go hand in hand, right? <laughs> yeah, because, right. You know, that's true. You know, the sodomy will always demand to kind of police what happened was inside a relationship. But I'm sure, as te- like you said, tell television's getting more prominent these stories are getting more prominent so i'm sure there's a little bit of protecting themselves going on with this absolutely so that brings us up to 1962 and what it's like for gay life i'm gonna kind of springboard a little bit into a place that i know very well and it's probably going to elicit some code switching i will just say for our audience that i have lived all over the united states i am from new york and i grew it up grew up upstate New York and then I moved to be a funeral director to New York City. I lived in the Bronx and I worked primarily in Manhattan and then Brooklyn and that has done some unusual things to my accent and every freaking time I talk about New York City my accent gets a little worse. It's harder for me to hide so if it starts to come out I'm sorry. It's called passion. You're just passionate about where you're from and what the topic is right? And forget about it. I mean I'm an upstate New Yorker and I'm going to hold it against you because I just can't do the accent right? But if it comes out, it comes out, you know? (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that being said, I'm going to bring us to 1960s Greenwich Village in the east, on the east side of Manhattan. Have you ever heard of the Genovese family? The Genovese. I'm going to guess some Italian mafia, but other than that, I really Ah, don't know the story. Ding, ding, ding. I mean, New York City, you know, that time frame, that's pretty much what it was. There were one of the, there were many big Italian families in the mafia, but the Genoveses were one of the biggest. And these motherfuckers bought up all of the gay bars in Greenwich Village. Think about it. You have a population of okay. I think I need to be specific about this. It was still illegal to be homosexual. It was still illegal to be gay. And it was also uh, illegal to serve them too, right? Establishments could get in trouble Correct. for having their patrons be gay and them knowing it. Right, right. So if you long as as long, it was really hard to enforce a law that you know, boom, you got you're gay, you're going to jail. So they looked for signs, they looked for hand holding, and they looked for who was drinking together. So police raids on gay bars became sort of a normal way of life for gay people. Well, the mafia is not one to waste an opportunity to oppress someone even further. So they bought up all the gay bars. For altruism, right? They they were very altruistic (laughs) in their actions, right? If only, if only, if only. So the mafia, this was a profitable match for the mafia. They bought up the gay bars. They paid the dirty, they paid dirty cops to tip them off when raids were going to happen. No arrests would be made. And in turn, they served the gays rot gut swill. They never kept the buildings up to code. They were garbage. They were terrible. Um, I'm a guess they were overpriced and they didn't take safety in mind, right? They cut corners, everything right everything in 1966 tony loria fat tony <laughs> fat tony loria bought the stonewall inn in greenwich village and actually that same year it became legal to serve alcohol to gays but this didn't change anything the raids still continued even though it was legal to serve gay people alcohol it protected the business owner i'm not going to get in trouble for serving a gay person but i still can't be gay in public that's essentially what's going on here right Right. 
Exactly. It was not for the gays. It was just for the people that might have gotten in trouble surrounding and serving gays. It wasn't, nope, this is, don't mistake that for gay rights either. Um, but gay activity, like handhold, so it was still illegal. So wh- where, where can you find people? You can find them where they're drinking. So even if the bar owners and the bartenders weren't being carted off to jail, the gays still were. Yeah, the mafia does what the mafia always does, and they pay accordingly to make sure they're still protected, right? That's right. There's still so much corruption in New York City in this time. It's the, Everyone knows that in part of history here. <laughs> well, not only did they, but so the mafia, you could look at them as a little bit of double dippers, too. So not only did they bribe cops to stay away, if a wealthy homosexual patron frequented one of their bars, they blackmailed the shit out of them to keep their identity secret. So they you, got- You see my face dropping here? Like, I'm so surprised <laughs> yeah, when you say I know, that. I mean, I mean, they're, they're overcharging alcohol- they're probably not cleaning everything right. Nope. You know, the the stools are falling apart. And you're telling me that they're willing to blackmail the people that they have <laughs> money in there? I mean, I just can't believe that. The Stonewall Inn was actually a bottle bar. That's what they called BYOB places back in the day. The place didn't even have a liquor license. It didn't have <laughs> the Genovese's. Bri- oh, wow. Another shock on that <laughs> one, too, right? The Genovese's bribed the sixth precinct to stay the fuck away. The place had no running water. It had no, f- no running water behind the bar to wash glasses. The toilet's always over overflow there was no fire exit and the drinks were. but don't worry the police got 40 percent of every dollar they made i guarantee it had to be something like that right right so why why did shit come to a head on june 28th 1969 does that day mean anything to you my friend i can't i mean i know generally speaking what stonewall was but i don't remember the date it's not one of those days that go down in infamy to me to you uh, because it again i don't I don't have a real deep connection to this because of who I am. So this was a kind of way of life. These police raids, these this watered down drinks, these shitty bars, no liquor licenses, potential for still getting blackmail, potential to still get hurt. But this existed for years. So why did Stonewall, why did the Stonewall in? Why do we know about it today? Well, on June 28th, 1969, it was a pretty dark day for for gays. That was the day that Judy Garland was buried. Actually, everybody says she's buried. She's not buried. She is interned in a cheap seats crypt at Ferncliff Cemetery. I've been there. If you don't know about crypts and mausoleums, the middle row is the most expensive. The one on top costs a little bit less. And the one right on the freaking floor is the cheap seats for nobody wants to be interred. And Liza Minnelli stuck Judy Garland there under the promise that she was going to be moved to her own mausoleum. And she never was. But if you go to Ferncliff Cemetery, a lovely band of homosexual men, Judy's gays, they made Judy's garden. There is a rose garden on the grounds of Ferncliff Cemetery, tended by homosexuals who love Judy. Anyway, putting a pin in it. June 28, 1969, she was interred. It was hot. It was stifling. It was miserable. And there was a raid. And the cops, there was no tip-off. On this night, there was no tip-off. The police rushed in roughed up patrons and started arresting people for bootlegging alcohol and for violating what we don't know much about anymore, but it was very popular back then, the state's gender-appropriate clothing attire laws, which stated that if you were dressed in, out in public, you were to wear no more than three pieces of gender non-conforming clothes. And this was to limit the activity 
of cross-dressers and drag queens. This was a direct assault. This law was a direct assault against emerging drag queen culture, which is hard for me to, like, it's hard for me to, in the in a world where RuPaul's Drag Race is the most popular thing on fucking <laughs> television, think about yeah. that. This was against right. the law. This was. It was just illegal to to wear something in America. Again, I I can't stress that enough. This is America we're talking about. This is yeah. New York City in the seventies. You're white, right? Or sorry, in 1969. I'm sorry, not this. Right on the fringe of the seventies, mm-hmm. right? So. So police came in. They roughed everybody up. Everything was kind of shitty. But the police were kind of dumb at that that time that night they didn't have cop cars ready to load people into them they just kind of went in without much backup so what they started doing was handcuffing people and lining them up on the streets and this started to gather a crowd when the crowd gathered they're like leave them alone leave them alone leave them alone let them go let them go let them go the cops were like oh shit this is not getting good people started getting testy they started getting rowdy and then the vans showed up and as they were loading the people into vans one of them roughed up a lesbian i don't know her name i wish i did cracked her in the skull and she pleaded for help at this point people started throwing shit at the cops pennies bottles cobblestones up the street back then there's still some areas of new york city that still has cobblestones they're picking those up and hauling them at the by the end of it it was getting fucking insane and I have to bring up a very special person whose, whose involvement is still, it's still the stuff of legends. And the person I'm talking about here is a woman of color, a trans woman of color named Marsha P. Johnson. And if you asked Marsha P. Johnson what the P stood for, she just said, pay it, no mind. And no one really knows if that was her <laughs> saying that. But this was a fabulously beautiful black woman who was born into a male body. And everybody loved Marsha and Marsha loved everybody. Well, some say that she threw the first brick at the cops and some say she threw a shot glass at a mirror in the bar and shattered it. But this woman was taking no fucking bullshit. She was black. She was a sex worker. She'd been shot in the spine already and she was a drag queen. And at that time, not only were blacks hated, but drag, if you thought it was bad to be gay, it was even fucking worse to be a drag queen. They were so hated by the white gay community that they were often told not to come to gay rights parades because they thought that they, that it made the gays look bad. Gay white men hated drag queens and especially hated drag queens of color. But Marsha P. Johnson, this fabulous person, she threw that brick as the legend goes and a riot ensued. These riots went on for five days and sometimes involved thousands of people. This was one of the first times that allies stepped forward. In fact, the Village Voice, the riots kind of died down for like a day or two and then the Village Voice published about it saying how much bullshit this was. We had, now there was a publication saying, whoa, 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 you can't treat people like this. And that started the riots up again. So five days this went on. I mean, I know some people refer to the riots of Stonewall more as the siege of Stonewall, right? There was actually officers stuck in the building throughout all this, if I'm correct. That's correct. So because the the fracas got so bad outside, the cops actually ran into the bar. Ran inside, locked themselves in. They ran inside and locked themselves in. And barricaded the doors. They barricaded the doors and the mafia set the barricade on fire. The mafia was like, all right, fuck you, cops. And the gay people were fighting in the street. The mafia were like, fuck you. I'm going to burn the whole fucking place down with the cops inside. But 
nobody was actually killed. There was a lot of people hurt, minor injuries, like quote unquote minor injuries that get hit in the head with batons, but nobody died. But I will say that though nobody died that night, Marsha P. Johnson, she herself was in fact murdered in 1992. Um, she was found floating in the Hudson River by the Christopher Street Pier. And if you know, if you know Lower Manhattan at all, the Christopher Street Pier is, Christopher Street is right where the Stonewall Inn was. That area is now a national monument, thanks Obama. And to this day, a gay pride flag. This is the only place, I'm going to get choked up talking about it. It's the only national monument where a gay pride flag flies over it. That's our people. And she was murdered. Originally, her death was ruled a suicide by drowning. But this was a happy person with plans. And if you go on YouTube, you can find clips of this beautiful person. And in it, she says, tomorrow is not guaranteed to me. And if I die, if I'm murdered... No one's investigating the murders of gays. She said that. And this... It's so, so powerful. Now you're making me cry. She knew. Because to be a black trans woman meant she was marked for death. 19- she just knew it was not a matter of if, but when. Possibly. You know, they didn't... They stood out and they were proud they had no guarantees that their they were their safety was not assured. We can you can walk around Christopher Street now. I could walk down the street butt ass naked and nothing would happen to me. Not in the sixties. Not then. Mm-hmm. Not for not for a prostitute. I don't even like that fucking word. She was a sex worker. And I, ugh. I'm so glad that in the zeitgeist we're getting rid of the word prostitute. It's an ugly fucking word with too many disgusting connotations. This woman had no other choice to fucking live but to fuck for it. Because there was nobody that was going to give her a job. There was nobody that was going to give her a place to live unless she she used to appear in her male body to do certain things. And then she would, you know, transform into herself to go out. She had her, her, um, to the best of my knowledge, her former roommate is still alive. And you can see interviews with him talking about her on YouTube. I highly recommend anybody going to YouTube and looking her up. And same with Christine Jorgensen, because these are the queer icons. These two women... Frank Kemeny, these are the first gay activists. So here's a good point in history where I can put some of these little bitty puzzle pieces together. Remember our friend Frank Kemeny? So he was already doing something started in ni- that he started in 1965 with his branch of the Mattachine Society called the Annual Reminder. He began this in 1965 and it continued on through 1969. These annual reminders took place every July 4th at Independence Hall in Philadelphia and these were among the earliest LGBTQIA plus demonstrations in the United States. These annual reminders were designed to remind the American people that that the rainbow members of society still did not enjoy basic civil rights protections. These were held, like I said, they were held every year. But after Stonewall happened, Frank Kameny and the group decided to shift their focus and they organized instead of the annual reminders, they shifted their focus and they organized and created the Christopher Street Liberation Day, the first of which held on June 28, 1970. During this time, they decided it was going to be a parade. But one of the organizers, his name was L. Craig Schoonmaker, argued that as a gay person, you had no power. But what you did have was pride. This was the first 
pride parade. They came dressed in nice clothes. The official chant for the march became, say it loud, gay is proud. And these were not the parades that we see today, Stephen. Nobody was wearing rainbow booty shorts and streamers and glitter. <laughs> yeah, because they were afraid of getting arrested oh, and causing yeah. a ruckus. And I'm sure the police were very vigilant on any little thing that they could do, right? Because they needed to make sure everything they were doing was proper. They weren't going to get in trouble. And they were just going to exercise their American right to march and protest, right? Correct. And so in 19, 1970, saw three actual pride parades. The one, the first one was actually not this Christopher Street Liberation Parade. It actually happened a day before in Chicago. Chicago gays rallied at this time. Los Angeles gays rallied. Now, Los Angeles, <laughs> this is another piece of like bureaucracy that just pisses me right the fuck off. And I might as well mention it. The Los Angeles boasts the first permitted pride parade in new york and chicago they didn't fuck around waiting for permits but they did in california yeah they just yeah we're, we're we're gonna do this yeah we're doing this we're here and like i said we're we're proud i don't need permission to do this we're people right but it uh, in los angeles they decided they were going to get a permit for it and you know what they were charged for their permit 1.5 million dollars in 1970 money so they they were doing everything they can so they asked for permission and then they said you know what if you pay us a ransom, we'll sure. let you do it, right? Right. So the ACLU stepped in and that parade happened and it didn't cost $1.5 But just so you can see, there was resistance to everything. But that was the first Pride Parade. Now, moving from that, after Stonewall, some really amazing and interesting things started to happen in New York City. Up till now, we've basically just talked about the history of white guys. You know, when you're researching any project, for you're doing any reading on anything, ev just about the majority of everything that you're going to read to is going to focus on the white perspective. And that's, you know, that's just, yay, America. But but I want to kind of take a look at the the culture that surrounded black and Latino queers, particularly those in New York City. In the 1920s, there were drag shows in New York City, um, but were mostly white. And at that time, black performers were actually expected <laughs> to whiten their faces. What is a drag show that you're talking about here for people who may not know? Well, drag shows are basically when... Female, they're female impersonation shows. And to the extent that someone is a drag performer or a drag queen is really a matter of personal choice. There are people that, there are drag queens who are non-binary. There are drag queens that are straight. There are drag queens that are um, trans. There are so many, I mean, there are very few straight ones, I think. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, but mainly it is female impersonators. And this was a way, drag performing was a way to kind of be who they wanted to be, but still sort of exist within legal parameters. If they were putting on a show, they weren't going to get in trouble. Oh, they it. were performers. So they weren't subjugated to all those stupid laws about what you can and cannot wear in public and everything else, right? Yeah, the three the three yeah. pieces of clothing law. Yeah, because in, in fact, like if you look, there's even pictures, I think, of soldiers in World War II. They put on a drag show and you see like there's like gunners and they're dressed in women's clothing. But so these were obviously, well, I don't know, maybe they were gay and serving and closeted, but I don't know. But there are many varying degrees to a drag show. 
um, and some, like I said, some for for some it is an identity, and for some it is something that they do for entertainment. There are as many different types of drag queens as there are colors in the beautiful rainbow. But in the 1970s, after Stonewall, Stonewall was so galvanizing for the Black and Latino communities because they played such a pivotal role in it. There were, like we talked about Marsha P. Johnson, the queer, the Black queer community started to find its voice after Stonewall. And a new ball community in Harlem really opened up and tired of all the exclusion and racism that they faced. Black and Latino um, queer drag performers started a whole new community and it's so beautiful and I am not a part of it. I, man, if I could die and be reborn again, maybe that I would love to be there because they are the most exquisite people. There's a little bit, you can see a little bit in the movie Paris is Burning on Netflix, but that even that movie is shot from a very white privileged point of view. But I think the best example in pop culture right now is a TV show called Pose. Have you seen that? Oh, that's a great show. Excellent you know, show, Pose right? is a great show. Yeah, they, <laughs> so anyone who's out there knows exactly where you're going. But for the people who haven't seen it, you know, it does a great job really demonstrating the struggles and the community and all the pain that everyone felt around that time i think it's sometimes hard i mean maybe not if you're born in the south but i think it's hard for queers today to really remember that to be queer meant that you were probably going to get ostracized from your home you could get kicked out of your house um now pose is a fictional representation but there were there were real houses the house of labeja was founded in 1972 by crystal labeja she was fed up with the racism in the ball community and she started her own house now these houses are a fantastic part of the culture queers for time you know since the earliest gay communities the ostracized find each other and when you have a group of people that are so community-minded but they've all been kicked out of house and home new families arose new there were houses had a mother they were a matriarchal society didn't you know not everybody was born into a female body but they resumed those roles beautifully it and it is a testament to the strength of those people that they say right i didn't have my family everybody kicked me out i am you know, trash to some people, but I still have pride in myself and I am going to start a new house and I'm going to welcome in new people and I'm going to foster them and take care of them and we're going to be our own family. Like, what a beautiful way. I mean, I mean, I say that like um, not having ever been, I mean, my coming out, sorry, is a sub- subject of a different matter, but I was fairly, I was fairly closeted and fairly safe as a hetero passing person, but these people were not. They were not safe. They were not safe anywhere. They were not safe with their own mothers and fathers who kicked them out of the home. They they did not back down. They did not lay down. They did not go quietly into the night. They started new houses for themselves. So these houses were put together in New York City. I'm sure they popped up in other cities over the, the course of time. And they were really just a place for, essentially, that were kicked out of their homes to get off the streets and put a roof over their head and have some sort of community around them to uh, make sure they stay safe and they have a place to live, right? Yes. And these many, a lot of these houses are still in existence today. One thing I would like to point out, um, 
about the ball community is I'm sure you remember Madonna's song Vogue, right? How can you not remember that song? Vogue was yeah. like the biggest thing in the when it came out. It was everywhere. Voguing was invented by the ball community. Queers of color, people of color in the ball community started voguing. It wasn't Madonna. A white woman took another example of a white person getting famous, stealing something of a from black a minority person's. culture. Yeah. Yes, I mean, from it, a minority culture. Elvis wasn't the first, he wasn't the last. You'll see examples of this throughout history, right? Yes, over and over again. That's what happens yep. when you have a whole community of people who were seen as second class citizens. It's no surprise. It's just the sad truth. And I wish that people would take the time to appreciate where some of this stuff originated in general, not just in the ball community or yes. uh, rhythm and blues music, but just in general. You need to appreciate where the art was actually born in, the culture it was born in, to really appreciate the art style. I, as, a, as an artist and a creative myself, I was a burlesque dancer and in a band. I cannot be happy and create great art. Out of suffering comes the greatest stories. And it's a testament to the strength of the people who continue to be so daring and creative and beautiful, even when they're getting no credit, when they're seeing their own dances taken from them and popularized into white culture and then done by teeny bopper girls with, you know, bows in their hair. It had to be such a slap in the face. They never get the recognition that they deserve. And which is like why one of the reasons I love Pose so much is that it is written, it's written by Janet Mock. And she is the first trans woman of color to be a showrunner. And she's fantastic. That's why I love this show. This is unlike Paris is Burning. This is her own voice telling her own stories and an homage to this culture that existed like a phoenix rising from the ash. And I personally have love for this culture because from that community, the kink community, we are the descendants of these people in, the, in kink. And we have houses that exist to this day as well. The kinksters when we are ostracized by vanilla people and we can't get the sex or the agency or the kink that we need we have houses too also very often very matriarchal there are some run by doms d-o-m but most of them run by female doms d-o-m-m-e-s <laughs> you'll see that you'll see that um like almost like a they them you'll see on like on kinky thing you'll see dom slash me that's what that's talking about <laughs> yeah and i'm sure we could do a whole nother episode just about that culture and what that's about because i'm sure it's more than just I, i'm not gonna belittle this uh intentionally here but more than just safety issues right i'm sure there's a lot more uh interesting and relationship stuff going on in that yes, side of the there community. is a lot there is a lot. There's a lot to it. Recently, I was asked to start a house and the whole like house, me, house or a cult. Which one? Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I will never start a cult. Oh, God. I made the mistake of watching Keep Sweet, Pray and Obey. And that did not do anything good mm. for my mental mm -hmm. health. In fact, just reading all these stories was just so sobering. It, it really sat me back on my heels and saying that it was Bill Clinton in 1999 who officially declared the first pride month and he continued it every year while he was in office um they were not continued by it was not continued by any republican president since not w not uh trump whoa 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 i mean w supported gay people right? he said 
He said he wasn't in support of them getting married, but don't worry, he's okay with civil unions. Yep. Like that makes a fucking difference, well, right? Oh, either it's right and it's equal, or it's not fair at all. And right. fuck him, you know. I want to say something else about Bill Clinton. He also, in 1998, issued the executive order to formally prohibit discrimination of the federal workforce based on sexual orientation. That's he fantastic. made that act happen. And in his statement, I looked this up mm-hmm. uh, for this episode in my research, he also quoted Stonewall in his proclamation. I, I'm going to read this little excerpt wow. here. Gay and lesbian Americans have made important and lasting contributions to our nation in every field of endeavor. Too often, however, gays and lesbians face prejudice and discrimination. Too many have had to hide or deny their sexual orientation to keep their jobs or to live safely in their communities defending this nation. In recent years, we've made some progress righting those wrongs. Since the Stonewall Uprising in New York City more than 30 years ago, the gay and lesbian rights movement has united gays and lesbians, their families and friends, and all those committed to justice and equality in a crusade to outlaw discriminatory laws and practices and to protect gays and lesbians from, I'm going to say this again, prejudice, persecution, Mm -hmm. violence, and harm. Yeah. I wish... It's so, you know, <laughs> I love when people say being gay is a choice. God, would anybody choose this mantle for themselves? <laughs> we live with it. We hold our heads up as we wear it. But, man, we it's not. <laughs> There's very few people who would want to self-flagellate and try to put themselves in these shoes here. Maybe it's it's such backward, stupid thinking. Yep. And, you know, not and Obama mentioned Stonewall in his inauguration speech, too, you know, so, I mean, it's amazing to me how this one event was so galvanizing and changed so much. And it started with one mafia-owned bar <laughs> in Greenwich Village on and Christopher Street. And some pissed-off patrons. Yep. It's amazing, And right? some allies. And to close this out, I want to talk about one of my favorite things, which is the pride flag. Um, because I love that it's a rainbow and I think we should, I think it bears talking about how it was created. The in 1978, an artist named Gilbert Baker, and he was an openly gay man and a drag queen. He is the person who designed the first rainbow flag. He was asked to make a symbol, a symbol to create a symbol of pride by the gay community. He was actually tasked with this by Harvey Milk, one of the first openly gay elected officials in the United States. Baker. Gilbert Baker was tasked to create a symbol of pride. So he chose a flag because he thought that in itself was a powerful symbol, something that you can fly. And he said in an interview, our job as gay people was to come out, to be visible, to live in the truth, as I say, to get out of the lie. A flag really fit that mission because that's a way of proclaiming your visibility or saying, this is who I am. And he saw the rainbow as a natural flag from the sky. So he adopted eight colors for the stripes. Hot pink for sex, red for life, orange for healing, yellow for sunlight, green for nature, turquoise for art, indigo for harmony, and violet for spirit. And when you put all of those things together, that really looks to me like the recipe for a beautiful person, a beautiful gay person. We have so much inside. And to just say, oh, these people are just wanting to, you know, talk about, you know, we're supposed to accept them for what they go, what goes on in their bedroom. 
to be queer is not just about who we love. To be queer is a statement of who we are. And those are all things that make us up. And there are good, you know, there are good people and bad people in every single demographic. And to just paint anybody with one broad brush is a fallacy. You can't do it. So now, you know, we'll, we'll get, we'll talk about this more in the coming weeks, but the recent row flip has set the world on fire for a lot, for a of, lot people. of people, a lot of, a lot of people. And I know we're going to touch on that in this and future episodes because sure. it's going to be so important for to stay up with it and, and inform everyone about the repercussions going on or what's happening about this because it is so disgusting what happened in Washington this week. I'm not going to sugarcoat that at all. Yeah. It's it's something that, you know, Stephen, we've talked about this. We're not a political show. I'm a storyteller. You're, you've got questions to ask and we started this podcast to help people, but it's going. It's really hard to address issues of sexuality when you feel like your very safety and survival is in question. And that's what I think I have all of many of my clients are so triggered and so many people are so sad and running scared. And I admit that touched my own heart. And we have a lot to come back from. We have a lot to come back from with this archaic decision. And we have hearts to lift. We have to find the hope where we can. And when I was 21 years old and my mother had just died and I was a brand new kinkster on the street, it was a house that picked up me and taught me kink skills that I could then monetize on rich white men and I could survive. That is how I survived. And throughout the course of my illness with cancer, I used kink to pivot to keep sexual agency even when my body refused to allow me to have that. And I was able to address issues in my marriage through kink when you just need a different language when sex is sometimes you know taken off the table for you you can use kink as a way to pivot and in fact I even use kink to handle medical trauma because I can play magic games in my head and create my own story and be kinky and heal so those who don't realize that kink is a healing modality, that's something else that they can learn about our culture. So you've you've learned those skills and you develop those skills based on your own history in the house. And I'm sure these mm-hmm. houses that were put together, you know, all those decades ago, it's not all just about sexuality. It is about no. getting that family together to deal with the, sh- the shitty truths of life and mm-hmm. for a lot of these people when you're so marginalized so ostracized just like yourself mm-hmm. how else can anyone survive in this world without having like-minded people around them to always be around to support them and bolster them when they need it that's exactly right and and i what i find so beautiful is actually the person who asked me she said Ms. Kama, I, if you ever start a house, I will be there. She is this beautiful trans woman of color living in Atlanta, Georgia. And in her picture, she's, she does production. She's a production assistant for um, Rhythm and Blues shows. She's this outrageously beautiful, creative woman. And it was such an honoring and sobering moment for me. Miss Kama, would you start a house? I will be there. I 
want to transition and be out full time. And will you hold my hand? <laughs> yes, I will hold your hand. Yeah. Because someone, when I was coming up, they held mine. And before the house, I had a pimp. And <laughs> my pimp was a woman. <laughs> so, like, there's no, there was no safety. Going back to even the beginning, very mm -hmm. start of the show, I, as a white male, straight white male, would never be able to appreciate or even begin to pretend that I understand where every one of these people have going through. So I really appreciate you telling your story to make people understand that this is still happening today. Again, all this stuff we're talking about mm -hmm. is the history, but today this mm -hmm. is still a problem that needs to be solved as a society. I remember when we didn't have marriage equality and seeing lovers, husbands, wives, you know, in same-sex couples, we had... Um, unity rings and we had you know commitment ceremonies but no legal rights and to see people die in hospitals alone because their same-sex partner was not allowed and to see them when you see that happen you are never gonna be the same again when you hold the living surviving spouse in your arms and you can't tell them there, you, there are no words of comfort and Clarence Thomas, that piece of shit, when he said the dog whistle that they're coming for coming for Griswold and Oberfeld's neck, that's scary. The time, the fight is not over and Gen Z has grown up with these rights, but I am here to fucking tell you that they are not assured. And if you're going to want to keep them, then you're going to have to get up and fight for them. Last night, the only thing that kept going in my mind was a little twist on a popular poem, but it was in my heart to say, and now I must rage and rage against the dying, not of the light, but of my rights. Mm -hmm. I must rage against the dying of my rights. And, and you and every single woman in this nation is feeling that, whether they'll admit it or not, whether they're mm -hmm. forced to be a Stepford wife to their husband who supports this, every single woman mm -hmm. in this country I'm sure is feeling that same pain. And I'd like to say those two, a special, special recognition of those who were not born into a woman's body and chose one. I have love for them because they could have stayed male in a male body and died on the inside, but instead they flourished and they grew and they came out and they transitioned into a life of oppression. That's what we had to offer them on the other side of their transition as a life of oppression in America. And they still stood up. I want to expand on that. It's not just oppression. It's still prejudice, mm -hmm. persecution, mm -hmm. anger, mm -hmm. harm. Mm -hmm. It's not just oppression. It's all of this. And people need to understand that. Pe You're talking about people's physical safety, mental health, it mm -hmm. all plays a part here. So that's why we do what we do. We are not political show, but we cannot. This isn't politics. Yeah, uh, this, yeah. What we're talking about isn't politics. It's basic human decency and human rights mm -hmm. afforded to everyone in this mm -hmm. nation. And I will die on that hill. I'm sure there are many out there like that. It, it'll be interesting to see. And one thing that I also thought of last night that kind of scared me a little bit, and I don't know, but... American history can kind of go this way. My One of my thoughts was 
on which side will the galvanizing assassination be first? Will MLK emerge? Will it be someone like RuPaul? Who? Who will be the first to fall in this? Like, history almost always has a martyr. And with gun laws becoming more loose and... It scared the shit out of me to see the open carry law or the concealed carry law in New York go away as a New Yorker. I've tended to the bodies of gun deaths and um, I don't want to see our country go that way. And I hope we don't. But yeah, I know you're feeling that way. And I know there is a big part of this nation feeling the same, but there are still a lot of people coming out of this dark moment in history with hope. And I'm going to start this with a really crude little story Mm -hmm. here. But did you ever see a dog chase after a car and actually catch it? Hypothetical, don't answer that. But spoilers, we can all imagine it doesn't go well for the dog, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of people, I'll say it, GOP, think they've won. Mm -hmm. They're celebrating. But what a lot of people don't understand, and this is where I want to be able to maybe help some people through this is they took away the carrot. They've been dangling this idea in front of their single issue voters for 40 plus years now, and now they got what they wanted. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's a dark day, Mm -hmm. but in doing so they made their opposition the maddest they've ever fucking been and made their own base quietly comfortable. Those are two good things going on here for the long game. That's a good point. How do you think it's going to go? Yeah. You know, I, I, there was a part of me that just says, well, they just fucked themselves. <laughs> and I really hope that is true. And I will say in something that I learned in veterinary technician school, when you're trying to train an animal to not do a bad behavior, an animal will ramp up and ramp up and ramp up. Like say I'm trying to get my dog to, to stop barking at the door. I'm going to I'm going to read I'm going to do whatever I need to do like maybe it's nope maybe it's you know whichever type of training modality I'm choosing I'm trying to teach my dog not to bark at the door right before my dog stops doing this barking at the door forever there is a point where they ramp up and they do the biggest heckin bark of their lives before they never do it again and and in biology, that's called the extinction burst. And in 2016, when Trump was elected, I thought to myself, this is the extinction burst of the GOP. This is going to be as bad as it's going to get. And I breathed a mighty sigh of relief when Uncle Joe went into the White House. But now I think I was a little premature. I think the extinction burst is now. I think with, you know, My favorite, one of my favorite people in the whole wide world, Jamie Raskin, House of Representatives, uh, member of the House of Representatives from Maryland. He is one of my, he gives me so much hope and so much strength. And if you want to see a truly good American, look up Jamie Raskin. Um, With this, just with, and he's heading up the January 6th committee. And I know he's doing the good work to see that Trump is indicted and can't come back to haunt us later. Um, I, I have hope, I, but I think the extinction burst is now. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I heard this phrase coming out of this. We, 
It is a battle that we have lost, but this is a battle that's going to lose them the war. And there are a lot of people who feel this way, like you were just yeah. saying. I know uh, in medical, I, there's a term for it, but once before someone's about to die, they have an initial burst of energy too. Mm-hmm. And I forget what they that. call that, but it's... Right. And that's kind of where I think this is too. I concur 100% with what you're saying. And it doesn't, this simple fact, if it helps, if you look into history, any enduring fascist regime, and that's what this is, it's Mm -hmm. fascism. Mm -hmm. They've always collapsed on themselves. And we're already seeing Republicans, including this great orange pumpkin, I refuse to use his name, (laughs) already attacking their own and questioning what this will mean in come November. Mm -hmm. You see them like, Mm -hmm. oh, wait, we won this. Uh, oh crap now we're afraid of november what's going to happen and it's important this i'm going to preach this Mm -hmm. remember this anger remember this fear come november because there's only two ways to fight this and it is to vote Mm -hmm. and use your voice and i guess three ways use your wallet yeah we're going to talk in the coming in the coming episodes and on we'll have links on our website we will give you information on where you can spend money where you can aid and abet abortions. We are committed to doing that. I live in the state of Washington. Stephen's holding it down in New York. There are networks. There will be an underground railroad to get women the safe and for They are going to healthcare. pop up more and more over the next coming months. That's and whenever right. we hear about a cause we're sharing, we're going to share it That's with right. you. Because again, this isn't political. Nope. This is human rights. It's a matter of our survival now. Clarence Thomas said it first, starting with this, and then we're going to look at gay rights then we're going to look at racial rights and then but but contraception yeah and that's the whole point fascism can only go so far Mm -hmm. because you can only convince enough people okay abortion okay this is about babies and people living but you're not going to be able to convince most of these people who may be supporting of this overturn Mm -hmm. when they start coming for their own birth control when they start telling them who they can and cannot marry that's right right it all changes when those conversations come into reality i look at the children that my peers that I went to high school with have had. And these are children of smart, critical thinkers who were latchkey kids. Gen Gen X, we were kind of left alone to figure it out ourselves. And the children of Gen X, they grew up with school shootings. They grew up with the legacy that boomers left them, and they are not fucking having it. And reading a poll the other day that one in five people and Gen Z are self-identifying as queer, that's 20%. 11% of millennials track queer, and 6% of my generation are polled and you know self-identify as queer. 20% of Gen Z, they are not. I look at Amanda Gorman. Oh, God, she makes my eyes well up. And <laughs> Greta Thunberg. And I think the kids are all right, <laughs> you know? And whenever a someone of that age can put so much fear into the heart of crunchy old, old white fucking white fart bastards, bag yeah, <laughs> they're Sorry. doing something right. It's just a matter of time. They're doing something right, and they if are. nothing else, time is on their side. And we're here I'll just to leave support. It at that. And we're here to support them. We're here to support them. I want I I want to reach out right across the generations to Gen Z, and I want to infuse them with all the power and the fire and the fuel. I want to give them the blessing of experience. I don't want them to go through it the way that I did. I want them to have so much more. And that's kind of what this podcast is about too, is giving them so much more to tell the people, to tell women my age who are 
had a, you know whether it was cancer or menopause or whatever you still have sexual agency and beauty far after 40 men you don't have to fucking take you know fuck your performance anxiety you don't need it there's so much n- unnecessary pain that even straight white men are feeling in the bedroom because toxic masculinity culture has ruined the fucking party for everyone i am i'm not only i am not about misandry i am not a man hater i love men you know i I champion men too. I'm not going to sit here and say, Ugh, you know, your sexual needs are not met. Because you know what? Give it up to the sex workers too, who for generations have drawn off the malevolent sex energies of Republicans in this fucking world. You know, you think about who's protecting women from being raped and who's protecting children from being trafficked is it really the government or is it the whores who are draining off like i say that word with love um those are my people those are the ones that are literally on the front lines to protect people and no one ever thinks about them yeah we're talking about the oldest profession right that's cliche Mm -hmm. but i was recently watching on uh, history channel there they have a new sex drugs and deals that made america and part of it was the history of contraception and people using the first condoms in new york city Mm -hmm. and in that show the you know there was a problem because contraceptions were illegal again going back to these old stupid laws that we're talking Mm -hmm. about and there was a need because men were regularly seeing prostitutes mm-hmm. i'm gonna use that word and if it's offensive i'm sorry i'm not trying to it's just the way i know how to describe it's actually, it that's a good point we actually use the word sex workers now with the exception okay. I'll, I'll tell you about it later but go ahead sex workers is what you want to oh. say now okay so they were seeing sex workers mm-hmm. after work every single day mm-hmm. and of course the solution was if you give men contraception they're gonna fuck more mm-hmm. that was the the rationale there but no again just like with abortion you're not making abortion illegal you're making safe abortion illegal yes take away the contraception you're making safe sex illegal you're going to see rises of more diseases Mm -hmm. and everything else which is not good for anybody and just to go back to your part about the the old men they are the patrons yet they don't want to protect the people that are serving them and i mean serving in a literal sense here it's it's so bizarre Mm -hmm. and disgusting that they wouldn't rally around them yeah it defies explanation to even me it's just not how i think it's just it's so it's so anathema to my being people like warren jeffs and you know who could just create you know who really truly believe that women are inferior and but the wives and the mistresses of republicans will always get their abortions they will always get a safe abortion it's women who are poor it's women who are of who are you know women of color it's those people that are going to bear the unfair brunt of these archaic draconian fucked up laws i was just scrolling on reddit earlier Mm -hmm. today and i saw uh, a journalist from vice all she simply posted was anyone who slept with anyone who supports this decision in congress Mm -hmm. here's my email tell me your story Mm -hmm. so you're going to see a big movement of all the hypocrisy being called out by all these uh, politicians who support this and are championing this those stories are going to mean something now you know it's cliche Mm -hmm. oh they've always had mistresses they've always had it's going to mean something now when you say wow this politician who overturned wanted to overturn very wade paid for four of them this Mm -hmm. one paid for three of them Mm -hmm. it's gonna matter especially come november yeah and you know i will say 
it's it's we're gonna you know one of the great things about this podcast too is that I mean I get to teach I get to show you and tell you all different kinds of things and trends that as they emerge in queer life and you're such a great ally and it really becomes a practical application at this point you know we will give you practical applications on how to be an ally going forward and yeah especially now when we started toying with this idea mm -hmm. that was before Roe v. Wade was overturned. We need to let the audience know this, that it was all about pride and defending their rights. Right. But since we started this whole idea, it's become all out war yeah. on half of the country's rights. Um, same women are half the country. Mm -hmm. So. And so this is my little love letter to Gen Z saying time to get up off your asses and we're going to teach you exactly which way to shoot your, we'll tell you where to point your arrows and now you got to shoot. Uh, it's important for us to use not only our voices, but our wallets. Mm -hmm. June is Pride Month, and there are a lot of companies that are capitalizing it and advertising their support for the LGBTQIA plus community. Mm -hmm. But did you know that a new study came out by Popular Information Newsletter that found that 25 companies that are supporting LGBTQ plus and Pride Month in general are donating millions upon millions of dollars to federal and state politicians who were not so supportive of uh, gay yep. rights. And it's really aggravating because um, they come out, they, they put rainbow flags all over their social media, and they go, oh, we support you. We, we love who you love. Meanwhile, they're silently donating millions. Like Comcast is one. I, can, I know that one off the top of my head, Comcast and Verizon. And Home Depot is another big one. They yeah, donate that more than almost anyone else. No one, I got to just interject this here, Stephen. No one has spent more fucking money at Home Depot than lesbians. I'm sorry. View haulers plus, man, pff, I'm sorry. If you don't know, if you know, you know, I'm going to leave it there. But pff, that one's a kick in the teeth as far as I'm concerned. A severe yeah. one. Yeah, but don't worry. They're going to sell you that rainbow bucket for $3 <laughs> more and tell you that Fuck they're going to contribute the money to uh, the Trevor Project or whatever charity they want while they're taking Total the lows. sales of, oh, yeah, or, um, while taking the sale of everything else they're selling and giving it right to the politician that's going to help their wallet at the end of the day. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it, it frustrates me because where we live, we have Comcast and it's a monopoly and I have no choice. Similarly, we have Verizon too. Also frustrating because we have no other choice as a military family. We need Verizon because we're separated a lot. So you're doomed if you do, you're doomed if you don't, right? Yep. You can't win in this. No. It's disgusting. No. Um, I'm going to, we're going to post a link to the study in our social media and in the description around this episode. Yeah, but you should the know study, where to spend. Yeah, I'm going to list um, some of the the biggest names that were listed in this study. There's CVS, there's Comcast, AT&T, Verizon. So like literally how else are you going to have your phone and <laughs> cable here? Right? That's a big problem. Yep. So try to find alternate versions if you can. Uh, General Motors, Walmart, Home Depot, Exxon, Aflac, FedEx, Toyota, um, Anheuser-Busch, Dell, Dell, Ford, Johnson & Johnson, America. The oh list God, goes on. And the sick. study lists over 25 of these companies have all donated at least $13 million to anti-gay politicians since 2021. That's in one year. They contributed that much money. Yep. And going back to our Roe v. Wade conversation, these same politicians are the ones that are going to work on stripping women's rights, yes. reproductive rights. Kind of, yes. It's the same problem. These are politicians that are coming for your rights one by yep. one. And the best way to combat that is with your voice, with your vote, and with your dollar. Yep. 
vote with your dollar. It's one of the most effective ways to take down oppressors. Um, you know, people may say what say what you will about cancel culture um, and the woke people. Like, there's so many, there's so many derogatory, so much derogatory speech. Cancel culture. It. Don't give me a reason to cancel you. It's that simple. Yeah. <laughs> Like, it's like, yeah, you've been a shipper for forever, but now we're noticing and we're taking like responsibility. Take responsibility for yourselves. Um, I want to point this out, too. Not a lot of people are aware of this. They, mm. Some people are aware of the Humans Right Campaign, HRC. Mm-hmm. It's a corporate equality index that's out there. Oh, yeah. But what a lot of... But what a lot of people don't know is a lot of these corporations on this list have a 100% rating for the Pride community. But... The index does not take into account these political donations. That's a big, big thing that people need to be aware about. So just because they're high on the list, you got to do your research and see who they're donating to politically. Mm-hmm. Uh, for And don't fall for their propaganda. Again, speak with your wallets if you really care about pride rights, if you care about women's rights, if you care about any of these issues that are serious topics for so many out there. That's the way to do it. Yeah, don't put money in the hands of people who would destroy your existence who don't even believe that you're worthy of basic human rights. Don't give them your money. They do not deserve it. They are trying to talk about cancel culture. They're trying to cancel you. I'm sure their canned line is always along the lines of the rights of all people are a serious topic for us. And that doesn't mean insert company agrees with that candidate on every issue. In fact, we may disagree strongly on some issues. You know what Mm -hmm. that translates to? Mm. This politician is willing to help me with tax breaks and put more money in my pocket. And I could see human rights going away as a necessary evil. I don't care. That's what they're saying to you. <laughs> yeah. They really don't yeah. care. <laughs> no, they don't care. They care and, about the money. Yep. Bottom lines. It's all about the bot- the almighty dollar. Forget Jesus Christ. All these people are really praying to the dollar bill. And we can take those away from them. That is a... That is, that is a that's a currency. That's a way to, that's something that they know that's hitting them where it hurts. It's mm-hmm. affecting them in the most effective way. And we have examples throughout history of when people do a serious boycott, change will happen. Yep. It does happen. You have more power than you know. They, you really do. We will keep our heads up and our stiff upper lip and we will find our hope and we will find we will find the message and we will find the people who are doing the good work and we will present them back to you so that you are informed in the greatest possible way for to we want to gird you for the fight ahead because it's coming and but we won't lose hope so that's our message to you today that we will we are with you we are in the trenches and here to spread the message we promise you that this episode is special in our lineup. This is such a momentous moment in American history that we needed to talk about it from our hearts, just like so many people out there. But we promise you in future episodes, it's going to be a little more lighthearted. It's going to be a little more fun about kinks and enjoying yourself and whatever it is that that you want to talk about sexually. And we're here for the questions. We're here for the questions. Send us your questions. But it's important to both of us, and I'm going to speak for Kama here, Mm -hmm. that know all those fun things about kinks and sexualities and queer culture starts by being defensive today. You need to defend Mm -hmm. your rights for that to even Mm -hmm. exist, for us to have fun and talk about it on lighthearted ways or serious tones, right? We need to be able to talk about this because those privacy protection laws are important for everyone's safety in anything they do. 
That's right. I'm going to be here telling funny stories and silly stories and poignant stories from my life. And we'll be back to our conversational demeanor and all good things and smiles. But we, yep, we just had to say, hey, you know, our existence is under pressure and some fundamental rights are in question. So like you said, in order to exist in our sphere as kinksters, as queers, we have to have basic human rights. So it's important to us to support those who are doing the good work. We're just uh, we're just another megaphone to amplify their voices and to give everybody a little bit of hope in the days ahead and some fun conversation. <laughs> yes. I will look forward to making your eyebrows go up as many t- times as I possibly can. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it, too. I really can't wait to hear about the new strange thing out there that's going to intrigue me, excite me, and make me question a lot about what I'm missing out on, or maybe it's not for me, but we'll all find out together. Just wait till I give you the BDSM test and see who you really are. (laughs) Oh, that would be interesting. Okay, well, you can do that on the next one. I would reveal so much more about myself publicly in exchange for everyone listening to this episode. I think that's a fair trade. Yep. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this episode of The Other Side of Sex. It's been a labor of love to bring this information to you here today. And it's from our hearts. And we love you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody. Keep fighting the good fight. Good night. Be well. And continue being stellar. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support our podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review on wherever you're listening to us. To catch up with all the latest from Kama and I, you can go to our website, www.theothersideofsex.com, which will be the hub for everything going on in our worlds. There you can leave us a message with questions, feedback, suggestions, or anything else, so please don't hesitate to reach out to us, and we promise to keep your identity secret, so give us all those juicy details. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. Till then... Stay beautiful, stay authentic, and remember to take agency in everything you do. 